I was listening to um, your Joseph episode because I, I love Joseph. Um, but what I love more is your children guilt tripping your listeners into buying merch. I cannot get enough. They're brilliant. And they've got such <laughs> lovely voices. I Thank you so put much them in at the beginning that. of this one. I love it. Hello and welcome to the original cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Bobby Flynn. I'm Maggie Flynn. I'm Josie Flynn. We are here to tell you that the original cast now has merchandise available for sale at bit.ly slash original cast store. There are t-shirts, tote bags, manic stickers, and coffee mugs. So get yourself, I can't, I have rehearsal t-shirt. Get a tote bag. With Standard logo. Or a heretofore and never seen alternative logo. Get a baseball shirt. Why a baseball shirt? Too bad. Copy mugs. Please buy something. Because our dad is in the arts. Because our dad is in the arts. It's, it gets cold at night. Cold at night. And we're hungry and cold. And adorable. Bit.ly slash original caster. Please buy things and support our dad. I have to say something more else. What do you want to say? I can't. I have a song. <laughs> Why are you doing this to me? Need a little Whenever my world falls apart, I never lose hope or lose heart. Whatever the form of the storm that may brew, not with you to lean on, darlings, you. Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. My guest today is a comedian, filmmaker, hails from the north of England, and has decided the turning gray at 24 is chic, not stressful. It's M. Humble, everybody. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for being had. It is lovely to talk for you. Uh, talk with you. I think most people who listen to this podcast will know you from your hilarious every every northern character in a musical video uh which we will definitely talk about where that comes from and the trueness of it <laughs> <laughs> the very very trueness of it um and we will get to it we will get to a lot of things but first of all you're here to talk about chitty chitty bang bang oh you pretty chitty bang bang chitty chitty bang bang we love you Yes, so <laughs> uh, full disclosure, I had not seen this movie uh, until last mm-hmm. night when I watched it to talk to you. Um, I was aware of it as an entity mm-hmm. and uh, like every good musicals fan, James Bond fan and Raul Dahl fan, this was a reference I got, but mm-hmm. had never encountered this before. And I appreciate you in one of our email exchanges, giving me a heads up that it's two and a half hours long. Because <laughs> oh, I- Patrick, it's too long. <laughs> it's way too long. <laughs> It's insane. No movie should be over an hour and a half, in my but, opinion. But so to start with, that's how it came into my life. But how did Chitty Chitty Bang Bang come into your life? Well, weirdly enough, I was I feel like I was brought up on like me, like film musicals from the 60s. Mm-hmm. So like Mary Poppins, Oliver and this were kind of like my big three. And then. My mom says that we used to watch this like fairly regularly and I'd keep like wanting to like put this on. And like we said, it's two and a half hours. So I don't know how I had the attention span for that because nowadays I can't get through like a YouTube video without like zoning out. So mm-hmm. what rewatching this was wonderful. And we used to sing it in our car on like a two hour drive to my Nana's house. So we'd only get through two hours of the film, of course, right. we'd miss out the last half. Um, and yeah, it kind of feels like a gateway musical to me because sure. I feel like you're kind of like, um, you're lulled in 
into thinking, oh no, this is like a family friendly musical. It's about a car. You know, it feels quite straight passing. And then, you know, your weird, strange child, aka me, starts obsessing over like me old bamboo. And punching on the beautiful tent. You use a sturdy pole. To protect that bag of Ladies use a parasol. It's useful in the underbrush. To have a hefty spear. Right, what, what we do with all bamboo makes everybody cheer. One, two, three, four. And like starts <laughs> starts throwing around a cane, and I think that's when you have to be worried. You have to, yeah. Then you have to pay attention. And, uh, yeah, then, yeah, then you have to pay attention. Everybody has to set up a little straighter because we know where this this leads to. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I so it was so funny about watching this movie is mm. I knew all I knew about it was you know it's Dick Van Dyke, the mm-hmm. car flies, and the mm-hmm. child catcher. That was all I knew. The big three. The big three. And like you say, when the movie started and like right away, here's the car and like the car wins a bunch of stuff and then it crashed like this whole prologue about the car. And I'm like, okay, there's the car and the car and the kids. I'm like, oh, it's a car and the kids. I get that. And he's an inventor. So he'll clearly mm-hmm. invent a way to make the car fly. And like, that's a thing. But then 45 minutes go by kind of without the car. <laughs> like it's about so long. All this other stuff. And then we get the car back. But then it's a whole anyway, this is a long way of asking, actually, probably because it confused the hell out of me. Do you think mm. you could summarize the plot of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang for anyone okay. who knows me, well, as much as I did or less than me? I would say that the car is a silent protagonist in this film. Oh, I like that. So the car yeah. is like this weird baseline throughout the entire film. But do we really care about the car? No. What we care about is family, romance, sweets, and a, and a weird kind of Nazi character who catches children, um, which is honestly shouldn't be shown. No, absolutely not. And is that summary? No, it's not what you asked. No, I just described a bunch of things. But I feel like it's, I mean, because this movie is the definition of nonlinear to me yes it is a it's it's a real example and there's a lot of movies like this from this period especially musical movies especially musical movies for kids mm. which is the the cliche and sort of when we talk about like how you would write a story would be like you know you you, you try to do a, a sequence of events is like this happens but this happens so this yeah. happens but then this ha- you know there's a cause and effect to it this is not that this is this happens and then this happens and then this happens and like yes. it is a series of just like and then this happens question mark and you're just kind of yeah. like rolling with it and like then Gert Frobes there and then Anna Quayle's there and then Benny Hill's there and I'm just like I really was like watching this like getting deeper into this movie being like what the hell is happening in this thing and then you know it just it completely and then Desmond Llewellyn's there and I'm like I don't understand what is a I've I feel like this choice has really exposed my psyche uh, because you're so right. It makes no sense whatsoever. Partway through, like uh, like an hour and a half, maybe into it, they then go into like a fictional story that I as a child didn't realize like was fictional. And then they come out of it and everything's fine. But it's like the dad telling a story about pirates and, you know, going to Bulgaria and all this amazing like camp stuff happens. And then you kind of cut back and it's like, oh no, none of that was real, by the way. Anyway. um, Okay. Let's carry on and go home from the beach. It is. (laughs) It feels like a fever dream. It It really does. Because then the last half hour, 20 minutes anyway, is like this weird tension of, Will Dick Van Dyke and Sally Ann Howes get together? Which is, what? What? Why is that tension? <laughs> I know why. Oh, it's insane! And she's like dressed in like a wedding dress for about half of the film. Yes, and the children say like right near the like right near the beginning that if they kiss, if um, Karaka. 
Caracatus? Caracatus parts, yes. Caracatus parts, of yes, course. Yes. Um, and truly kiss, then they have to get married, which I love. That's a yes. bond that cannot be broken. Absolutely. It is a kid's movie. I think one of the reasons that kids love it and that you mm. would have glommed onto it as a kid is it operates on kid logic. It yes. never spends any more time with anything than it needs to. It's just like the car, he fixed it and now it looks perfect. Why? Because that's what he does. He's an inventor. Mm-hmm. He fixes cars. And like, that's real and this is imagined or maybe not. And I don't care. It's always moving. The movie never, ever stops moving. I did have the experience because you can't not when you're watching something on the computer of like tapping the mouse and saying, oh my God, this is only halfway over. (laughs) But I think that if I was watching this with my kids on like a T on the couch, I wouldn't have done that. It doesn't ever slow down. I was constantly being like, as an adult, being like, okay, is this the story now? Have we settled on this? But I never... Mm -hmm never was bored i was never worried about that really until the end the last 20 minutes is pretty boring but beyond Mm. that like it does it moves and the music i love i love how you go a very very long time before the first musical number i I noted it down 20 minutes 20 minutes before there's a song like which is like okay that's fine but then we suddenly have like there's times where you'll go You'll, you, you'll, there'll be a musical number and it'll end and you'll be like, okay, now I have it. And then there'll be like a half scene and then a whole other musical number will start. And I'm just like, man, you guys just didn't have any idea. <laughs> I'm completely, well, yeah. There's so no bad. pacing. No. It's, in fact, there's no pacing and simultaneously there's only pacing. We cannot get enough. <laughs> We're truly <laughs> on a train that is not stopping for anyone. It was. There's no stations. It, it is a fascinating movie to watch and it really is i think one of the comments i read sort of researching the history of it a little bit was that Mm. dick van dyke who had obviously done disney films and done big disney films Mm -hmm. said this movie without disney disney and i think one of the things this movie reveals is that not everybody can do that disney thing there's an ethos behind the Disney movies. Even if you get all the same actors and a couple of the same writers and the same songwriting team together, that isn't going to produce the unified Disney experience. It's, don't get me wrong, I think this is a glorious mess, but it's a mess. <laughs> it's an absolute Absolutely. mess. It's a total no, mess. It's, it is a car crash in every sense. <laughs> that's what, how it starts, actually. So there that's, you go. Yeah, that's exactly how it goes. From the jump, this is all. So what did you, was there anything else besides 20 minutes of no music that you, as now an adult watching this thing, went, oh, God, that happens? And this is oh, that weird. The ever-colonial grandpa. What? Mm, yes. That was, that jumped out at me. I was like, yes. oh, yikes. Yeah. He's, I don't trust him. Yeah. But I remember, like, my parents kind of, like, laughing at the grandpa, not because of the fact that he was colonial or, or right. you know, kind of conquering, but the voice that he does is absolutely insane. <laughs> he is the strangest man, and I love it so yeah. much. Like when um, Potts buys the car, mm-hmm. like he eventually manages to save up the money to buy the car. The the grandpa immediately goes, that's a nice pile of junk you've got there, my boy. And that's exactly how he says it. <laughs> that could be a recording from the film. He's insane. That's not how people speak. That's like a David Bowie parody. Uh-huh. You don't you don't have a grandpa who who speaks like that. And then he goes, it'll never start. And then the car starts and he's like, well, it'll never stop. And I'm like, okay, that's pretty fun. I did like that line a lot. I really like the line. It's like, it'll never start. And he starts, well, then it'll never stop. It's like, okay, something, you know. I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I love how the grandpa is simultaneously the, he's somewhat like the admiral from Mary Poppins, who's Very like that. living in the past and a little bit off and has some problems. That's how he's introduced. I mean, he's going to India. That's he marches out in full clean costume. He's going to India. And I'm like, mm. oh, fun, eccentric grandpa who thinks it's the war. Like, yeah. 
okay, great. Like, whatever. That's fine. There's that trope again. But then he shows up back at the house in his normal clothes and he's the most sensible person in the whole house. And it is a real, like, it actually made it uncomfortably real to me. I'm like, oh, he Mm -hmm. has episodes. Oh, that's not funny. That's not funny at all. Yeah. Like I I was realized that I was like, we're living in between moments of clarity with this character. And then like, but the movie then kept doing it. It kept like, it just kept that momentum up to the point where I was just like, oh, that's just grandpa. Like that's whatever. It's fine. It's classic Gramps. (laughs) (laughs) I will say to an American, the the classic, Mm. the the, the trope of a grandpa who thinks it's like living in the past and thinks it's the war or old Great Britain or, you know, like back when it was empire, all that is kind of a trope character to us because Mm. I don't know if, if it's what filters over here or what we produce but it mm. that really did feel like I'm like, OK, I kind of get where this character is coming from in a very general sense. And then I really didn't. But I thought I did from the beginning. Yes. It does that with all the characters, though. All the characters are wildly inconsistent in fun way. Like truly is a yeah. bizarrely inconsistent character who shows up and then disappears and then shows up again. It's like a kid telling you the story. It's so like so funny. And I realized watching it as an adult that she drives into the same pond three times. Three times. And well, I was like, comedy. can we not hire a different pond? But M, you know this, it's comedy. It's not yeah, really yeah, funny until the third time where she <laughs> yeah. drives in. Yeah, so deep she has to be rescued, right? So it's yes. like, it's always got to be that third. Yeah, the third time. But no, you're right. They could also then film it all on the same day, just driving. Because she's also, I think, wearing yeah. the same thing in everyone. So she just drives into the pond. Same yeah. shot three times. And it's all three times. Exactly. It's all good. Yeah, I will also. So what is I don't usually ask this question at the beginning, but I'm going to ask. I usually save it till the end, but I'm going to ask it now uh, for a specific reason. What is your favorite song in <gasps> Bang Bang? OK, this is yeah. such a good question because I haven't necessarily chosen this film because the songs bang. Mm-hmm. It, if you pardon the pun, sure. this, this is like. This is very much a weird kind of like childhood uh, fever dream of a movie that is stuck in my head um, and I cannot scratch it out. Um, but I love um, the What Do You See, the music box song. Oh, sure. Yeah. Dolls in a Music Box. That whole Dolls yeah. in a Music Box. Because mm-hmm. this is one of those examples that you were talking about of truly does the song and she sings it and it's and she, you know, she's pretending to be this doll in a music box. And it's like the choreography is very like percussiony and mm. it's good fun. And then a whole like small section comes in when Dick Van Dyke is uh, a weird clown wearing big shoes. Mm-hmm. And then they do the song again, but as a remix with Dick Van Dyke singing um, Truly Scrumptious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love I'm like a sucker for any kind of harmony. I'm, mm. I think that's so clever. If people can sing, I'm clapping. Mm. So but I think that that it might be my kind of favorite song. Mm-hmm. But you can't really ignore the actual song Chitty Chitty Bang Bang because it does come back about four times. And it's incredibly catchy. I mean, just absolutely like ridiculously catchy. Yeah, I asked that early. I usually say that to the end, but I ask it early because it occurred to me this morning, looking over the song list, that I don't really remember any of these songs. They You're are kidding me. Instantly, except for Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I do know, like mm-hmm. when, once I am able, I look at the title and I'm like, and I can associate it with the scene. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, I remember that happening, but I couldn't. I couldn't really tell you whether I loved them, didn't like them. Like mm-hmm. they, they all just kind of, which for the Sherman Brothers, they of you know Mary Poppins and other Disney hits uh, is weird that the songs all really just kind of float through the one that like I kind of like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang is the exception the title song I'd heard that a hundred times before it's in mm-hmm. every commercial for this movie I think it's in the movie um, Belfast that was out last year I think they go see Chitty Chitty oh Bang really Bang. in that movie they go see this movie and they sing the song and stuff so like that it, it was recently in my head but like I couldn't hum for you, truly scrumptious. I couldn't hum for you, posh. Though I do like, I remember loving that scene. And it was just an odd experience of how I felt the songs kind of 
maybe it's because it was also bizarre. I wasn't able to like truly engage with it in, in the mm-hmm. moment. I was really sort of, I was, I'll tell you the song that really, I I just surrendered to, the, I was like, all right, whatever. This is what it is. Mm. Was a uh, choo-choo face that the Baron and Baroness say. I was just about, I was going to say, you, you're telling me you don't remember choo-choo face? Your choochie woochie nose, your choochie woochie eyes, they set my heart aflutter. Your oochie coochie race, your oochie coochie gaze, wilts me down like melting the bottle. You're my little choochie face. And you're my teddy bear. Uh, Choochie face. Well, I mean, I remember it happening, but I really like I'm sitting there. I have this. I've talked about some of the show before. I have this problem as somebody who is a writer and teaches writing that everything I look at, I'm always constantly analyzing. I can't stop. And so I'm always like I was sitting there being like. First question, why are we doing a song here? Second of all, <laughs> why are we doing a song with these characters who I don't care? Like, I'm supposed to hate them. And I love Anna Quayle. Like, Anna Quayle in anything I think is amazing. She's hilarious. But uh, So, like, fine. But, like, why are we doing this? What is this telling me about the situation? What is this telling me about the relationship? And then he pulled the lever and she fell into the floor. And I was just like, screw it. I don't care. Like, fine. Whatever move. You win. I will just watch yeah. this and accept it. <laughs> Because I'm going to drive myself nuts trying to figure this out. And I'm really glad I did because I think I would have enjoyed Doll in a Music Box a lot less if I hadn't been in the mood. It was like, whatever, fine, whatever. Now they're dancing, fine. I don't care. (laughs) More of it. Hit me. Come on. Bring it. The the kids are crawling under the tables. Awesome. I don't know why this is happening. I don't know how they coordinate. How did they get in the roof? I don't care. It's fine. Whatever movie. You win. (laughs) Oh, funny. funny. You're so right. Like watching this objectively is crazy and i think that i'm i i have gone into this very presumptuously thinking that everybody has had my exact same experience growing up and watching this you know three times a week and annoying you know their parents with me on bamboo but i i think you're so right the pl- the point where it gets to chewy face you you either turn the film off or yeah. you embrace you, you embrace everything you either walk out or you're just you sit down you're like, fine whatever go for it because it is really, it, I felt like it was wearing me down. <laughs> was, yeah, I'm so sorry. No, I, it's I, great. I cannot but, apologize enough. No, 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 no. Because what's great about that is the reminder, because like this movie was also not a hit when it came out. I was surprised to learn that. I assumed this it was a huge hit because mm-hmm. almost everybody I know did watch this movie. I mean, I just didn't see it for whatever reason. It just never, like mm-hmm. my parents didn't like it. Or, we, you know, it just didn't cross our my field. But tons of people I know knew it. Tons of people I know were terrified of the child catcher, like as an image. So, like, it was a frame of reference for people. Clearly, this movie resonates. And I and it so it was good to sort of feel that's when I had the realization, I think, that it works on kid logic. It just mm. runs and it's getting through. Like the reason she falls in the floor is because something needs to happen right now to Mm -hmm. keep the kids interested. Something I've said before when I teach about theater for young audiences and when I work on TYA is like, you can keep it going if every 10 minutes somebody gets hit in the butt. Like you can hold a kid's attention for an hour if every 10 minutes somebody gets hit in the butt. Kids love that. I don't know why, they just do. Fall in the butt, hit in the butt, anything like that. Mm -hmm. And so like, it's important to remember that when you're like, I have a heavy dramatic moment I need to hear. So like, let's hit everybody in the butt right before it and then they'll be paying attention. And this is that, like, he pulls a lever and she falls on the floor. Why? Well, because it's been about eight minutes and something weird happened. So like that yeah. has to happen now. And that works like it works for kids. So great. <laughs> I'm, and I'm again, the it. rule of three with yes. that with that um, uh, song is that and, I, and we don't know why the Baron is trying to kill the Baroness because the Baroness is the best character in this film. Yes, she is. She I understand her motivation. I understand where she's like, I totally get the Baroness. 100%. Everything. She has like genuinely six or I think it's six costume changes. Mm-hmm. And she's and she's in maybe like the last third of this film. Yeah. And she's not like a main character. And in this song, she's got plaits to her knees. She's wearing a single black glove. 
it's it's everything it's absolutely everything and then for some reason the baron is trying to kill her he fails with like a suit of armor with the axe and goes rats and so does the suit of armor then the chandelier he tries to kill her with like the chandelier that doesn't work and so she has to go through the floor it's compulsory Mm -hmm. but then twist she comes through the door right in through the door not even a scratch on her i was really expecting (laughs) to be like covered in seaweed or something you know what i mean like some bit or like have a fish like hanging off her but nope she just comes right through the door and she's That's fine. so fun and it is weird because she's also the reason why the kids are in, like why the child catcher exists she's the one who hates kids like that's mm-hmm. the whole thing the baroness hates kids so that's why we have a child catcher that's why the kids are all living under the castle which is a weird place <laughs> and it also is like in in the world of a sensible like modern or even like well put together motion picture if mm. this was a fantasy this whole fantasy of the child catcher and the would be related to something in the real world it'd be like a miss gulch w- wicked witch kind of scenario where somebody's mm. trying to get the kids to like behave and they don't want to so now it's all mm. no none of that's true we're just here now we're well here's, <laughs> here's the one thing that i noticed at the very beginning that i never noticed before is that um in Mr. Coggins' junkyard or mm-hmm. in his, like, whatever Mr. Coggins owns where the car is found all right. beat up and stuff, right. there's a nasty Cockney junk man. Yes, there is. He threatens to murder the children. He does. This is like, and gang, if you haven't seen the movie, this is like minute six. And really, it's, yes. it's minute two because the first four to five minutes is this prologue title sequence about the car winning races which doesn't play into anything except for a line that desmond llewellyn has in a minute yeah that junk man is so mean to the children like yes it's horrifyingly mean yes and he fits really well into your northern character even though i know he's not that uh that most pastiche you have of like the wicked north like yeah insane (laughs) i'm gonna i'm gonna be because the kids say It'll be a, it's a murder if you destroy that car. And he's like, if you yes. get out of my way, it's going to, there's going to be two more murders. And I was like, exactly. Dude, seriously. <laughs> Just so explicit. So uh, explicitly threatening. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's horrifying. I mm-hmm. This is where we Literally. start. This is our tone setter. <laughs> Literally. And then truly almost kills the children with her car. Yes. And before in, and the reason why Chitty Chitty Bang Bang goes out of commission in the races is because a little girl and her dog go in the middle of the road and they swerve and so they almost kill those that that child as well so it's just there's like at least three instances yeah within like you say the first six minutes where children are are under threat yes and i was thinking this might just be a message about like driving safely and wearing a seatbelt. Well, I would say actually textually, I would have to say it's a movie about uh, women and cars because there's a lot of wonderful oh. late 60s sexism that comes like right hard and fast and right at you. With, with I felt her, betrayed. With truly. Insane. So sad. Just immediately saying, well, if women are going to drive cars. Right. You better learn how to use them. Oh, stop it, Dick. Don't do this to us. Not Dick Van Dyke. Not Dick Not- Van Dyke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it was uh it was 1968 and uh it was what it was which is yeah. bad this is what yeah. it, was. it was bad they end the scene with him saying women and yeah. i'm just like oh guys really so, yeah that's what you're going with anyway yeah. oh man uh i will say uh towards 1968 this uh not as racist as you might think uh very few uh no creatures of color i think in it at all so mm-hmm. that helps question mark. Um, but there is some uh, colonialism glorification, blah, 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 Zulu type stuff, which isn't great. So mm. not, and then we have thing. some kind of like camp Nazis as like the Vulgaria. Yes. Kind of they it's all like made yeah. fun of. They yeah. Oh God, they're weird. They're so weird. It is strange. It's it's very weird. I'm kind of like, what is the line with this? It's probably bad, and I'm gonna treat. Well, and it as that's such. where, like, when like you say, where he starts talking about, he starts telling them the story. They see a ship off the coast, and he makes up this whole story. And the movie enters this fantasy sequence, this mm-hmm. body of the film, basically. 
but I didn't quite realize what was happening like because the it, it seemed to me like the fantasy sequence was invading the main movie like a little bit like when they when they come ashore and mm-hmm. I was like oh this is wait a minute is this real or is this not real? which is what the movie sh- you know, wants you to do it wants you to be like oh this is happening now mm-hmm. and then of course it's not but I really like took a long time for me to acclimate to those two characters who I thought were pretty funny like overall good good to you know Abbott and Costello type shtick the, the spies the spies yeah Oh yeah, right. they're excellent. They're yeah. very fun. There's slapstick. There's yeah. mispronunciation. There's mm-hmm. misunderstanding. What more very can you want? Base, it's so clever. Level <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They did, they did, you know, they were they were quality enough. So, how did this the sort chitty the chitty chitty bang bang of it all? How yeah. did that? How did that influence you think your was was a musical something that you really really enjoyed all up through your childhood? So I didn't think, I didn't, I thought this is how everyone was raised. So I think that like, now that I look back on it, I loved it way more than other people did. And so things like this and Mary Poppins and Oliver, like I was saying, and um, like watching other film musicals really kind of made me feel like, I just enjoy it so much. It's just I love the extravagance. I love how silly it is. I love um, how colorful it is. I love the songs. Give me a stupid song and I'll be like dancing around mm. for I don't know how long. And it was my dad as well. He wrote um, like musicals for schools. So I'd be singing around the house like his like his songs as well and I didn't realize that that was unusual for children Mm -hmm. um but then as I think as I then got older like during my teenage years I wasn't I wasn't watching this stuff as much and then I get to university and like see that there's like a music theater society and they are obsessed with everything and that's when I realized that my life could have taken a very different turn (laughs) It could have been very different to what it is now. If I had, if I had like swerved into the chitty chitty bangers of it all, mm-hmm. I I could be, I don't know. I could have so much more knowledge than I do now. Because I said in my email to you, I was like, I'm worried I don't have enough musical knowledge to be able to like talk about this. But I think... I just enjoy it so mm-hmm. much. I love this, like the spectacle of it. I love going to see stuff. I'm so impressed when people can sing and dance. Are you kidding? That's two things. <laughs> it's so good. I love it. So what, well, I mean, but you obviously have some kind of experience and, and thought process of it to make a video like you did that got you know my attention in the first place where you're noticing tropes and you're noticing so were musicals really something you were absorbing at every chance um or at a yes, lot of chances? like if if people gave me like the opportunity i would go mm. um i wasn't like going on my own volition like so say with like school and stuff they would organize these big trips to go see Wicked in Manchester, which was like so sick. And like, I was just like, this is so cool that I can go and see this for like 16 pounds or however much it was. Like we'd all get on like this big coach and go to this musical and come back. And it was like, wow, like that was insane. Um, And then, so I, yeah, I take every opportunity that was kind of presented to me in that way. and then I was watching um, Kinky Boots on YouTube, I think. I think someone had put it up on YouTube, which is mm-hmm. obviously go and support financially when you where you can, everyone. I'm not endorsing this. Right. Like, it's a line a good we way. walk a lot on this podcast. Yeah, I mean, we hate, right. we hate bootlegs and God isn't it nice they're available. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so I was like watching that and then I was like, oh my goodness, this is so funny that, that they're supposed to be Northern like from the north of England, I was like, you're having a laugh. And so literally that entire video is based upon that Kinky Boots recording. (laughs) There's like 
I only watched that because I I like haven't seen any of that in like person and I and I just wrote it down on my phone I just like made a bunch of notes and I was like okay this is so funny I love it so much like let's just make a silly video for my friends wow London is so crazy and different from where I grew up up north that is <laughs> Where are the cows and where are the pigs? I miss the rain and I love the mud. Kinky Boots is such an excellent example of that because it's not even like Matilda, which is a British property then adapted by, I mean, I know Tim Minchin's Australian, but he has a lot of experience in, with, with, uh, with Britain. No, this is a film that was made in England in the, in the sort of Billy Elliot, you know, tradition. Uh, full Monty tradition, and then it's adapted into a musical by two people who couldn't be more American if they tried in Cindy Lauper and Harvey Firestein. And yes, I, I imagine because for people who don't, there may be something that, that my listeners may not know is that the north of England, in a lot of ways, is viewed as we as, uh, as northern Americans view the south of America. It is the sort of more rural um, area and is the looks down upon section. Am I right in saying that of the country? Yes. And I never knew this. I never knew this whatsoever. Oh, really? And then I put this, okay. I never knew that like it was that kind of relationship mm -hmm. like between North and South in the US as it oh, is I see. here. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that like, cause I, I didn't expect obviously this video to do well, like at all. I was just sure. something it's stupid that I put up and then to get, Americans commenting on it was I, I was like wow like mm -hmm. as if and then I put it on on YouTube as well and a lot of Americans were commenting like oh so this is how it be like the English view the north it's like how we view the yep. south and I was just like I never knew that that's so fun mm -hmm. yep it's ab it's absolutely true and it is a real like I, I think it's hard for Americans especially to understand because your island is is so small mm, <laughs> compared to tiny. our landmass that like those sort of divisions could exist. Like I think we inherently think, oh, they're fine and they're all together. But then I would refer to the fact that like even people who live in New York, like they have a view of people who live, say, in Queens, which is objectively mm. like in New York. But like it, we have we have attitudes about neighborhoods areas everything you <laughs> or staten island staten or... island there you go new, new jersey. jersey there it is yes you got it. yes you got it say you got it areas uh... <laughs> regional 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 places regional things. Yeah. <laughs> everyone's got a different opinion uh, <laughs> about whether it's good or bad i won't try i won't experiment with my northern accent but uh the yeah so that's so how did you wind up from in more into the comedy zone than than the musical zone if you grew up like you say it was so easy you could have slid one to the other how did you end up in comedy um so i think maybe one of the reasons why i didn't end up uh doing musicals is because in school i was not good at like singing I was so nervous and I think I am still a very nervous person but like going to audition for musicals in school I would be shaking like and I would be so terrified and they'd be like okay thanks so much I remember like getting rejected for like this junior musical and I was like oh no never mind kind of thing but like <laughs> devastated pure like so upset and like seeing all my friends getting in and I was like oh my gosh and I was like 13 um mm. but then going into I, I auditioned again for like another musical when I was about to leave uh secondary school in like sixth form so I must have been um like 17 and they gave us the comedy parts like me and these other few Mm -hmm. older kids they gave us these comedy parts in um Bugsy Malone and yes oh there you go <laughs> but but the thing is they weren't comedy parts that were already written we had to write them ourselves and we were trees you wrote so, so you decided you would be trees we yeah they were like okay so you guys can be trees and you can write a few jokes and it was like we wrote like leaf puns and it was like, it was, <laughs> I mean, it was fun, but it was obviously silly. And yeah. then I went to university and I saw that um, 
there was a society advertised that was a sketch comedy society. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if you know, like the Footlights, mm-hmm. the Cambridge Footlights. It was uh, it was Leeds version of that. And we were called the Leeds Tea Lights. So I auditioned oh. for that, fully not knowing what that was. And um, and then I, I managed to get in. And then I did three years of sketch comedy um like went to the fringe every year it was amazing like literally they're my best friends it was it was so much fun um and then that's yes that's really how I kind of dove headfirst into doing way more comedy than I ever had like was was comedy something you were you were equally exposed to as with musicals and or was it more you sort of like got in with the the tea lights and then they were like oh there's this whole world of like comedic stuff over here like you can look at that we're drawing from that's such a good question i think that film wise yes i was probably still like watching on like tv wise like in in the uk like we've got so much like, yeah. like so many sitcoms like so many panel shows that just seem like a regular thing that you'd watch like every night with your family Uh, but then live comedy I hadn't been to see like Mm. at all I'd never been to go see a a sketch show before I had like never seen an improv show um I don't know if I'd ever seen stand-up like live I mean Mm -hmm. um so then going into that at uni and going to the fringe and then just being like literally overexposed I was gonna say the fringe would knock you down if you didn't know that all existed wow Literally, it was madness. And like when I first joined, I remember the, um, like my friends reeling off all of these like names and being like, mm-hmm. oh, well, this is like a so-and-so sketch. And like, oh, well, this is like what so-and-so did last year at the Fringe. And I was like, who are these people? And then getting to know them in real life and, you know, going to see their shows and seeing all the different influences and kind of putting it all together in your head and adding stuff up and being like, oh, well, that's obviously that kind of joke. And that's that kind of joke. And, oh, that's the reference there. And, oh, is there going to be, you know, like a twist Mm -hmm. in this sketch? Yes, there is. Okay, fun. And kind of, you know, figuring it out like a weird formula, but in like the most fun way. Mm -hmm. It's probably, yeah, I got way more into live comedy at university for sure. Mm -hmm. And how do you, do you find that your sort of musical upbringing influences the way you write and perform? For sure. Like we had so many musical sketches, for example, in, um, in our group, like we'd Mm -hmm. always end with the musical sketch. And I think that that was because it's such like a finale piece, like, Sure. singing or dancing Mm -hmm. literally and like to get people clapping we were like okay let's end with something where we all do like a group dance or you know so incorporating that into um comedy was so much fun and then after university I got the chance to co-write a comedy musical or a musical comedy whichever way it's supposed to be sure. um there was a centrinians parody and that was that was so much fun as well so that was really like combining mm-hmm. the ele- elements of musicals growing up and then the live comedy aspects as well i mean yeah they they do it, it's for two worlds that should overlap more i feel they don't because i grew totally. up kind of equally loving both and was often mm. floating between was really the film comedy group and then the musicals like the theater kids and i always i've spent most of my adult life actually sort of wondering why don't we just we should put these together because they all go together yes so wonderfully no i agree and like i think that was really encouraged when i was at uni because all the people in my sketch group were also doing like theater stuff and music theater stuff and so it, it was just kind of like a natural mix of oh well here's all of the mt kids and here's our small group like doing sketches mm-hmm. it was it was really like interchangeable um and that's how like that's why i also went to go see so many musicals at uni and being like oh that's so funny because my mates were in them and then we'd always play like i was the grandma in adam's family that kind of thing oh uh, okay 
And I didn't have to sing one bit. And I was so pleased about that because <laughs> I can't do it. And it's a bad choice for me. <laughs> I was so happy. <laughs> but no pressure. So it's just you and me. So that's fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Literally, I was shaking auditioning. I was like, why am I putting myself through this? Wow. Like, I cannot do it. Like, and, and they were Even like, do still, it again. You still get that? that kind of so nervous, nervous. really and so, wow. yeah totally huh that's interesting after now this is after you'd been in the tea lights so you had experience yeah performing? Wow. yeah totally and every time every time before we performed i'd get like shaky do you get it, nervous it was ne- yeah totally like never it's it was never like a oh yeah this is gonna be fine it was always like okay worst case scenario this entire theater's coming down and right. we're all gonna be crushed kind of thing or you know and there were so many nights where like <laughs> worst case scenarios like did happen like it was not like banger after banger it was it was yeah. truly like it's like a lot of oh there's chaff. nothing worse there's nothing worse than bombing it's the absolute yeah but i feel like then that like it's that exposure therapy it's that um rejection therapy sure that it's like you do it so many times and then it's like, well, this doesn't matter anymore. Like, why am mm-hmm. I embarrassed, like, at all? So do you still get nervous before you go out or is it? Oh, yeah, definitely. How do you process that? I I don't know. And this is why I'm going gray, Patrick. I wasn't lying. <laughs> I, I literally, I've got so many, like, gray hairs coming out of my scalp. But I still, like, put myself through it. And I'm mm-hmm. sure, like, lots of other people feel the same way. It's just like. I couldn't be doing, I couldn't be doing an office kind of job. Like that's not, mm-hmm. I like, I'd be rubbish at that. And I, and I really, really appreciate the fact that like other people can go, go and do that. Or the fact that they have to go and, you know, do that in order to make money. I think that's like really admirable. And I don't think gets enough credit like whatsoever. Um, like, but I, I like, I love, um, writing and performing mm-hmm. and making myself look stupid and you know whatever capacity that I have to work do for it you. Kind of sure thing. yeah totally I, I, I think that's important to talk about because I think especially with live performance there is a there is a famous story in this in Washington DC uh mm-hmm. in the theater community where a a young lady got up in front of a multiple tony award-winning uh performer who was giving a master class whom i will not name and asked that question said why would you say recommend to somebody who de- has deals with stage fright and the advice that this young lady got was quit and it's one of the most horrifying things i've ever heard in my life uh that's mad. and it was a funny thing. I met this young lady online at the Hamilton lottery, like weirdly in New York. And mm. like, turned out she was from where I was from. And I, she was there with her mom. And then like, she told this story and I was like, God, it's a bonker story. And then I recounted it to somebody else. And they were like, Oh yeah, I heard that story. Or like, Oh, I was there. Or like, this is a big thing that apparently happened around here. And it's horrifying to me. Mm. And I think there is a, it's there are people who do not get stage fright i totally believe that i believe like if there's one if there's things are one way there's probably something that's an opposite so i believe mm-hmm. that there are people who don't get stage fright but i mean i get jized before i go out like i get shaky i get the adrenaline kicks in you know what i mean yeah, like and you totally. just get this weird kind of feeling and it affects different people in different ways and i think it's important to talk about the fact that like and i think it's great that you get stage fright but you still go out there and do it like and you have been doing it for years and years and years and years and like you say it may be aging you prematurely but (laughs) but there's a reason for that i mean it's the things we put in to do the things that we we love that you have to you know like there's always times where we hate what we're doing even if we love it to pieces and i think it's important Mm -hmm. to understand that like that's real. And that doesn't mean yeah. you have to stop. There are coping mechanisms. There are things you can handle, or you can just do it enough times where you're just like, oh, this is just my process. Like I get super yeah. nervous and I freak out. And then I walk out on stage and I do the show and I come back and I'm like, I can't wait to do that again. That was fantastic. Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's, and I think you're so right. It's about kind of like overcoming that, you know, despite being nervous, it's not like a weird thing to, feel like you're literally exposing yourself on stage hopefully not too literally but like right. you're you're going up there and you're performing and you're trying to make people 
laugh in in comedy cases and also musical cases Mm -hmm. and it's just like that's the hardest thing to like make people do I feel like I remember in like a media studies class when I was like 15 or something our teacher was like the easiest genre is horror and the hardest (laughs) genre is comedy yeah and I was like whoa okay pretty black and white but I'm in yeah (laughs) well and they're so close together that's the problem is that bad horror bad horror is hilarious and that's the worst if you're laughing you're not scared so yeah that's absolutely true I would agree with that is that like the easiest genre is is horror uh because it's got so many good tropes to it. And yes, the hardest thing in the world is to make people laugh. I would, without question, <laughs> like it's mm. just so, so unbelievably challenging, but nothing feels better in the world totally. than writing something and then having people laugh out loud at it. I think that is the yeah. greatest feeling in the entire world. And I think that what was similar to kind of being in a group, like in a musical say, and being in mm-hmm. a group sketch wise was that you did that together mm-hmm. and you're doing it with other people. And I think that that's what's like the best thing about it is like the camaraderie. Like we never missed a show because one of us like wasn't feeling, you know, too great or like didn't feel like they could go on. It was just kind of like, no, we're all doing this together and it's all going to be fine. And if it goes bad, then it's all bad for all of us. And like, mm-hmm. that's okay. Cause it doesn't in the grand scheme of things, I mean, a bad show doesn't matter. So in looking at your website, and bio and stuff i was struck by you are somebody who like myself does too many things yeah. um and but what i think is interesting about that is from an american standpoint i've often said like that is can be a problem that is a discouraged mm. thing in in this country the, right. the most like the easiest path to success is deciding what you want to do at 15 and like being right about it and then focusing on that and you will you know that's a that's a good path to success but mm-hmm. if you're like me and you kind of float around a lot and it can take until you're 40 to really like establish yourself as somebody yeah. because it just takes a long it just takes longer because you're kind of going incrementally in each is that something you you experience also in England is that like the same kind of like you you would as somebody who does a lot of things would you say that that's that's also true that's such a good question I think now that you mention it yes like that makes so much sense because I think it's hard to kind of say what I do as like someone or as somebody who does like multiple things I think it's hard to tell people what you do without Mm -hmm. coming across as like an ass. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, it's like, oh, so what do you do? Oh, well, I'm like a freelance creator and I film things and I take photographs and I edit and I also illustrate and then I write comedy and I try to direct and, you know, all of these things. It's like, well, if you're so, if you're doing all of these things, are you good at any of them? And it's like, <laughs> I feel like that's kind of the impression mm-hmm. that I kind of give when I try and list off a bunch of things. Um it kind of feels like all of the hobbies that I do when in fact, you know, you, you can like make money from that as well. Right. But I think that like, yeah, like I have friends who have like gone into say like marketing or like um, SEOs or that kind of branch of mm-hmm. work. And it's very easy. I think it's, it's easy for them to get, a, like a job that is like a stable job and then they all make their way up the ladder but I think when like when you're freelancing like I don't make a lot of money like at all um and that's okay for me and I'm in like a privileged position to be you know not too worried about you know the next paycheck and but I think that in that sense it's kind of doing lots of things can be quite hard to yeah kind of climb in your own way mm-hmm. um rather than focusing on like a single career choice or a single job but like i said i i i would be rubbish in an office mm-hmm. i don't think i'd be any good with like search engine optimization i don't think that that's really my calling mm-hmm. and yeah and i think i count myself very lucky to you know be able to do all of like the fun creative things and work hard at those 
and to put my time into that. But even in entertainment, I mean, I think that there is, I I, I don't know if this is just because it's me on the outside looking in, but Mm. I always feel like if you folk, if you decide I want to be an actor or you decide Mm -hmm. even like, I want to be a journalist, I want to be a videographer. I want to be like, you pick one of those things and you roll with Mm -hmm. it, that the success comes possibly talent, talent, all that, blah, blah, blah. But like taking all those things into account um, comes a little faster because you're focusing on the one thing. But I find Mm. that that is as kind of more of a magpie. My work, the thing that makes the stuff I focus on, the stuff I do more interesting is the fact that it comes from all these different range of experiences. And like in just clicking through your links and your, you know, posts or whatever you have. I mean, because the other one that really made me laugh on your Twitter profile was your tour video. (laughs) Of, um, <gasps> oh good thank yeah, you yeah which is it which is in the same tone like it's all clearly you i get like the bo- both of the but they're wildly different subjects mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. still though equally funny and it's very well shot and well put together so thank you it's that opportunity to kind of yes i think it can be a little harder when you decide not to focus on just making just doing stand-up or just doing sketch or just doing you know one of those others but mm-hmm. it creates a richer soup from which to draw from and to be like oh like this is what I bring over here and like nobody else brings that you know nobody else is is it as is into musicals and <laughs> as I am in this in this yeah. you know in this film program or whatever it is yeah totally and I love these metaphors I love being the mad <laughs> magpie and I love sipping out a fun soup that's <laughs> that's brilliant there you go and I re- <laughs> no I completely agree um and I think what's hard is oh pull me hard no like um I think what's important is that you just like keep your own voice during whatever you're making and if you're happy to be making um you know like front-facing videos that like and you're doing the kind of like same thing um and that works really well for you and you're able to like build an audience like that I'm just like go off um but like I because I think I was yeah I don't think that I could keep doing, oh, like, I don't think that like relatable kind of stuff is kind of my bag, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know how many videos I could genuinely like make about, oh, oh, the the feeling when you go to the supermarket and they're out of crisps. Mm Oh, that's annoying kind of thing. Like that's not, that's not really what I find funny. And I think it's just important to do what you like really enjoy and to kind of emulate the things that you love. Yeah, absolutely. Because of it's, I mean, as you know, I, I, it's a, it's a kind of a been over quoted, I think recently since he, since he died, but um, I think the great quote in from Stephen Sondheim of whatever you do, let it come from you and it will be new mm-hmm. is true. It is well, that all rhymed is um, <laughs> the uh, but it's true. Like the thing that makes it interesting or makes it funny, it makes it unique is the fact that you that's your point of view. And totally once your point of view comes through, that uniqueness will resonate with people. Mm-hmm. Don't try to, you know, don't try to be somebody else and don't try to imitate. You just sort of you absolutely know, take it in and run with it. A lesson you clearly learned from the film Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. That's exactly what I was going <laughs> to say. Oh, were you really going to oh, say that? Oh, yeah. I was like, I was like, just like Karataka's Potts because everyone doubts him, even his own dad. He's and he doesn't believe in him and he's keeps him, he keeps inventing. And then guess what? The car flies. Or does it? We don't. I mean, we do. Oh, yeah. that, is, that is certainly what the movie wants to be saying at the end when the car takes off i mean it's a great it's a great ending with him like talking about how you have to be sensible and the car just lifts into the sky i'm like okay there we go there's a good metaphor but at no point in this movie has the problem been a lack of imagination or like truly saying to him like you have to be more serious and like or any of that that has not been the problem what's been the problem i don't honestly know but it is you know it is a, a pretty good, uh, <laughs> definitely what so the film funny. wants to be about. And I think if you polled like people who grew up with this movie and asked them, what is the like, what's the message of that? They'd say that. They're like, oh, you have to be in imaginative and be yourself and be all the, you know, oh mm. man, just any, you know, 
hey no literally he like he says at the ends he says at the end you've got to dream but you've also got to know the facts and you've got to like put them into practical use and i was like where has this been yeah the entire film right you're just saying this and then the car flies and you're like oh, you're like, oh there it is yeah jk kind because of also i love that the the because the, the last 20 minutes of this movie is really a short film about fragile masculinity because yeah. he like they're they're they come out of the fantasy sequence and it's like are they going to get married which by the way they've known each other for like two days really mm-hmm. and they haven't been on the adventure together so i don't know what it's based on but in any event are they going to get married or not and dick van dyke is like i don't know for because reasons and like ostensibly his reason turns out to be that like when he shows up at his house and her father's there to like buy the whistle treats for dogs yeah yeah um the wolf sweets wolves yes there we go yeah <laughs> which by the way then made me go like oh god don't give dogs sugar that's a terrible idea but anyway that's 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 2020 so many dogs died that day oh yeah. my gosh uh happy probably because it was i'm sure it was delicious but still mm. um but then like now that he's got money he can go marry her because they're on he won't have to be living off of her money and it was just like oh dude really like that's yeah. what's gonna do it that's the whole the film thing? was secretly about class and class division oh man. the richer are richer than ever patrick yeah and the poorer are poorer than ever mm-hmm. and Gosh. so this is about yeah. class ascension <laughs> is, i mean yes you could make an argument who the hell knows what this movie's about who the hell knows it is about i'll tell you what it's about it's about two and a half hours long and yes true you could do a lot worse (laughs) i'll be be honest about that you could do a lot worse it's crazy it's absolutely bananas and i am so glad you sent it to me to watch um well, told thank you for watch. watching. Yes, of course. It's, it's well, I could find I easily found it too. It was a great, like, oh, good, I can watch this. That's that's easy. It's on HBO Max if you want to check it out on the on the internet, folks. Um, but somebody, yeah, has let it. us know somebody what you, you think. Know has it. Please do, you know, if you're out there and you have not seen this movie, just watch it and t- like tell me if you set quit. aside, yeah, yeah. <laughs> tell, <laughs> tell us how long you up. lasted. Set aside four hours at least. I think my, my five year old girls would find this a little scary. Uh, but like in a couple of years, I think they'll get down with it. Like I, I, I think they'll, you know, they're like seven or eight. I think they'd, they'd hang. For sure. And this was such a wonderful conversation about such a bizarre and wonderful movie. Where can people find you on the internet? Um, thank you so much for having me. And um, you can find me at M-E-M underscore humble on Twitter and Instagram on youtube i think i'm just m humble and then my website is mhumble.com because i got that sweet.com domain yes, you did yes so feeling very proud of myself with that you should be it's a pretty it's rare in this life especially now <laughs> to get the dot no, com is... you want <laughs> yeah. no this one's been so much fun and i loved re-watching this film thank you for having me oh, of course and for um taking me through the experience of this insane, crazy two and a half movie that should not have been made. Oh, I think that's not true. I think it absolutely needed to be made. I think that's the answer. It was filling a it was filling a void nobody asked for. <laughs> what do you see? You people gazing at me. You see a doll on a music box that's wound by a key. How can you tell? I'm under a spell. I'm waiting for love's first kiss. The original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. Please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice. It's the easiest way to help the podcast grow. Go to bit.ly slash originalcaststore for t-shirts, tote bags, magnets, and more. If you like movie musicals, then you have to check out patreon.com slash originalcastpod to learn about our bonus podcast, The Original Cast at the Movies. You can follow The Original Cast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at originalcastpod. Special thanks to our social media manager, Bethany Zalecki. Hi, Bethany. Hope you will. Well. My thanks to M. Humble for coming and talking to me. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. 
I have rehearsal. What do you see? Scrumptious. You're gazing at me. Scrumptious. Scrumptious as a cherry peach parfait. When you're near me, it's so delicious. To my wishes, scrumptious. Though I may seem presumptuous, never, never, ever go away. My heart beats so unruly. 